For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's teaching, we look at how Jesus heals an official son. Now let's join Pastor Jim with a message entitled, Faith in His Word. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody to the sanctuary for tonight's Bible study. Pastor Ross is out of town, obviously, and he gave me a phone call and said, hey, will you come on up and preach something out of John for me? And I said, no problem, Pastor Ross. So here I am. So if you have your Bible tonight, please bust it open to John's Gospel, chapter 4. John's Gospel, chapter 4. And while you're doing that, I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing on our time in his word. Father, we thank you tonight for the word of God. We know that this book was, was not made up or invented by any man, but rather it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God were carried along by the Spirit to record your holy word. And so we know that tonight your word is profitable for us for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that we can be thoroughly equipped to do the things that you've called us to do down here as believers. And so I pray, Father, as always, that you would take my simple message and your Holy Spirit anointed word and make a difference in our hearts and lives tonight because it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen? Amen. Amen. Well, the purpose of John's gospel, you can find it in chapter 20 and verse 31. The apostle John tells us these things are written, these 21 chapters are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so the Apostle John wants all of us to put our trust in Jesus Christ. He wants all of us to believe in Jesus Christ more than just believing in him for salvation. He wants us to have a personal relationship on a day-to-day basis, which of course is by definition everlasting life according to Jesus in John chapter 17 and verse three. And so the apostle John in this book writes highlights, specific details in the life and ministry of the Lord that are intended to draw each of us to him, to draw us into a personal daily relationship with him. So in chapter one, he talks about God became a man so that he could become the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And so he records how Jesus, who is the infinite and eternal God, became a human being for the purpose of dying for our sins. And so he's highlighting the great lengths and the great measures to which God went to save our souls. And then in chapter two, the apostle John displayed, highlights Jesus' display of power and Jesus' display of passion. His power, he was able to transform water into wine, power over the elements. And then a display of Jesus' passion. He has a passion for holiness. 
as he showed up at the temple of God, he showed up at church and he drove the merchants, he drove the business owners right out of that place. And then in chapter three, the apostle John wants to highlight for us the heart of God. He talks about how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so he highlights the heart of God, that it's a heart of love for you and for me. And then the beginning of John chapter four, he talks about Jesus' offer of living water, true satisfaction, quenching the thirst in our soul, an offer that he gives to anyone. No one is untouchable to God. Now tonight, Jesus, John is gonna highlight this healing that Jesus performs in an official's life. He heals this man's son. And in the process of this healing, Jesus is going to teach you and I a priceless insight into the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you and with me. So let's go ahead and read John's Gospel, chapter four. And we're gonna start with verse 43, and we're gonna work our way through the end of the chapter. So verse 43, after the two days, Jesus left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you see, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Interesting. So let's pause right there and let's talk first about a faith that's based on wonders. A faith that's based on wonders. So Jesus is leaving Samaria and in the early part of chapter four, uh, we read about his time in Samaria. He had a wonderful, wonderful experience in that region. He had stopped in Samaria at a famous well, Jacob's well, to get a drink of water. And at that well, he struck up a conversation with a gal, a woman of Samaria, that led to her salvation. And it also led to the salvation of her entire town, the town of Sychar. So this gal gets saved, and the entire town from which she is from comes to faith in Jesus Christ. They come to believe that he is the Messiah. Now, what's amazing to me about Jesus' time there in Samaria and the great revival that took place is that Jesus performed no wonders there. He did absolutely no miracles there. He did absolutely no signs in Samaria. No blind person left that experience with Jesus seeing. Nobody who was deaf left with their ears opened. Nobody who was lame left walking. Jesus did no signs, no wonders, no raising of the dead, no miracles, nada. He just gave the people of Samaria his word. 
Listen to the Samaritan's testimony about their time with Jesus in verse 42 of chapter 4. I'm just kind of giving you guys context. I should have mentioned that in the beginning. They said, it is no longer because of what you said. They're talking to the Samaritan gal who got saved. They're saying, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And so this whole town fell in love with Jesus, not because of what they could get from him, not because of what they saw him do, some sign, some wonder, some miracle. No, they fell in love with him because of who he was because he was the savior of the world. They fell in love with him because of his word, his self-revelation of who he is. They fell in love with him because of his attributes, because of his character, because of the things that he said to them. And so an amazing experience for Jesus in Samaria. And now he's leaving that experience and he's heading north to Galilee. He's heading to his home turf, to the area in which he grew up. You guys know he grew up up there in Nazareth. And he knows it's going to be tough in Galilee. And that's why there's that little parenthetical statement from Jesus, a prophet has no honor except in his own hometown. So he knows it's going to be hard hearts up in Galilee. He knows that the people aren't going to be so much interested in who he is, They're not really going to be interested in what he has to say. They're not going to be interested so much in his word. Rather, he he knows that they're going to be interested more in what he can do for them and the kind of wonders and the kind of signs and the kind of miracles that he can perform. They're going to be more interested in what they can get from Jesus rather than who he is, his nature and his character. So Jesus arrives there in Galilee. He arrives in Cana of Galilee where he performed his first sign. And the apostle John writes with a touch of irony. It says that they welcomed him having seen, the Galileans welcomed Jesus having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast for they themselves were there as well. He's writing with a touch of irony. Think about it. Jesus just testified and spoke about the people in Galilee that the mentality of those people was that they weren't interested in what he had to say. He was going to a place where he would receive no honor. And yet he shows up in Galilee, this place where he was not going to receive any honor for who he was, for who he is, and they welcome him. So what's with that? Well, for insight into that, you look at John chapter 2 and verse 43. Jesus is down in Jerusalem. He's at the feast. And it says that he did many signs in Jerusalem. And the Galileans were there. And they were witnessing all of these signs. And it says that many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was performing. But Jesus did not commit himself to these people because he knew what was in them. He knew that these people had a superficial faith. They had a faith that was based on wonders. They were just believing in him because of all the miracles that he was doing. And so Jesus goes to Galilee. And the 
Galileans see Jesus come and, and they're like, hey, it's the guy that we saw down in Jerusalem. It's the miracle man. It's the man who did all of the signs, all of the wonders. Hey guys, come, gather around. Jesus is here. What miracle are you going to perform for us, Jesus? What sign are you going to do for us, Jesus? What are you going to give to us, Jesus? And so Jesus is dealing with the people who have a superficial faith, a faith that's based on sight. They just want to get something from Jesus. They just want to see him do something. Here's what Andreas Kostenberger has to say. He says, Jesus' compatriots were interested only in his miracles. They didn't have a true faith that comes from the heart. They just wanted to see Jesus. They just showed up at church to see something amazing happen. They didn't come to church to learn about the Lord. They didn't want to learn about his character. They didn't want to learn about how he works, his will, his passion, his desires. They just came to church to see some sign, to see some angel feather fall from the sky to see some gold dust, to see someone get knocked out under the power of the Holy Spirit. They weren't interested in getting to know Jesus. They weren't interested in having a personal relationship with him. They just wanted him around because of what he could do for them. In John chapter 6, Jesus does this incredible miracle. He feeds 5,000 people with just a little sack lunch. And so the people are following Jesus around everywhere, and he testifies about them. He says, the only reason that you're following me around is because you ate of the loaves and you got full. You're just following me around because you want to see me do something and because you want to get something from me. Imagine if your marriage was like that. If your relationship with your spouse was like that. You know, the only reason I have her around is because, you know, she meets my needs. The only time I call upon her or look to her is when I need something from her. For example, when I need my breakfast, I call upon my wife. I say, honey, I need my bacon and I need my eggs. And as soon as she's done making my food, I'm done with her. Because the only time I call upon her is when I want to see her do something for me. I'm not really interested in this relationship with her. Or the only time I call upon my gal is when I need my pants pressed. I say, woman, I need my pants pressed. I've got to go to church tonight. So get out the ironing board. Get out the iron. Make sure it's hot. Get the starch. I want them pressed. I want them looking good. Imagine if your relationship was like that, if it was just based on, on getting what you want. The only time I call upon her is when I see the carpet sturdy and I say, woman, get out the vacuum cleaner. A relationship that's just based on fulfilling your needs. Or the only reason I have him around is because he brings in the bacon. He's got a really good job and he buys me whatever I want. I'm not really interested in a personal relationship with this person. I'm not really interested in, in getting to know this person and bringing joy to their heart and to their life. This relationship is about me. It's about fulfilling my needs. And it's about them just doing what I want them to do. That would be a very sad relationship. 
That would be a selfish relationship, and that would be a superficial relationship. Now, as Christians, we need to be careful about our relationship with the Lord, that it does not mirror that analogy or that example. That the only time that we are welcoming the Lord into our lives or or calling upon the Lord is when we want to see him do something. The only time we're welcoming him into our lives is when we need him to do some sort of wonder, when we need him to do some sort of miracle, some sort of sign for us. You see, a relationship, a healthy relationship between two parties only happens when both parties take interest in one another and put the effort into getting to know one another. We have to have that healthy relationship with the Lord. See, God is interested in having a relationship with each and every single one of us on a daily basis, and the scars in his hands and in his feet prove it. But we have to reciprocate that same desire. And so make it your prayer on a daily basis. God, help me to see you more than just you know, a genie in the sky that I only call upon when I need you to grant my wish, when I need you to fulfill my need, when I need to see something happen. Help me, God, to not see you as my supernatural butler that I only call upon in my time of need to take care of whatever I can't do upon my own. God, help me to have a personal and real relationship with you, not a superficial faith that's based on wonders or on sight, on seeing something. So enter the story, this official from Capernaum. Capernaum is about 20 miles away from uh, where Jesus is in Cana. The Greek word for official is basilikos, and it means a royal official. And so this guy probably worked for Herod the Tetrarch, or the ruler of that region. So since he worked for Herod, the king of of the area, he would have been a man with money. He would have been a man with power. And he would have been a man with great resources. And yet, in our text, we see him in a place of desperation. All of the money, all of the power, all of the resources can't help him. Because death and sickness and tragedy are no respecter of persons. So this man, he has a son who is ill. His little boy has a really high fever. Was it 103 degrees? Was it 104 degrees, mom? Was it 105 degrees? Was it 106 degrees? How high was this fever? Pretty high if he was at the point of death. No such thing as ibuprofen back then, ladies. No such thing as Tylenol. He had visited, no doubt, every doctor in town. He had gone to the ER, and they said, there's nothing that we can do for you. Go home and say goodbye. Your son is going to die. Sad. And so this man is in a place of desperation. But then he hears that the miracle man is in town. Probably he had gone to to the feast in Jerusalem and he had probably seen Jesus do some of these signs. And so word had gotten back to them, to him, over in Capernaum, that the miracle man is in town. And so he runs to Jesus 
Jesus is his last resort. He goes to Jesus and he's going to beg. And by the way, Jesus should never be our last resort. Going to Jesus should be the first thing we do when trouble comes our way. So he, he goes to Jesus and he asks Jesus uh, to heal his son. And Jesus' response is interesting to me. Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders you will not believe. Jesus, heal my son, please. He's going to die. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Interesting, puzzling, an enigmatic statement. What's going on here? Well, what Jesus is doing is pointing out the mentality of all of the people in that area. He's pointing out the mentality of all of the people in that area that they're only interested in him when they're in their foxhole. That the only time they want to call out to him or go to him is when they're in their foxhole. You guys all know what a foxhole is. A soldier, they're in battle, they're in war, so they dig a pit and they get in it and they hide. You're in a foxhole when you're in danger, when your life is in jeopardy, when you're getting shot at, when death is at your door. And so he's saying, these people are only interested in me when they're in a time of desperation. The only time they'll call upon me is when they're in great need, when they need some miracle, when they need some sign, when they need some wonder. The rest of the time, their daily life, I don't even enter their mind. They live like atheists. They're only interested in me when they're in a foxhole. There's a serious problem with having a faith that's based upon wonders. There's a serious problem with our hearts when we only want to call out to God in our time of need, when the only time we look to Jesus is when we're in a foxhole, when we're in a time of desperation. I mean, what happens to a person? What happens to the Christian who has that kind of faith, a superficial faith, where the only time that they talk to the Lord is when they're in need or in desperation or, or when they want him to do something? What happens to that person? when they're in their foxhole and they call out to God and he doesn't give them what they want. I mean, what happens to the person who has that kind of faith and God doesn't answer the way they want him to answer? Death and sorrow and sickness, they come to us all. They're no respecter of persons. In our story, it's a little kid who's sick and dying. And so difficult circumstances are going to arrive at all of our doorsteps. So what happens to the individual, to the Christian, who has that kind of faith? And then they call upon God and the healing doesn't come. They call upon God and the family member doesn't get better. They call upon God and they don't get the job. They don't get the promotion. They don't get the raise. They don't get the girl. They don't get the guy. I'll tell you what happens to a person who has that kind of faith, a faith that's just based on wonders, just calling out to God when they need him to do something. I'll tell you what happens when you have that kind of faith and God doesn't respond the way you want him to respond and when you want him to respond. You'll end up mad at God You'll end up bitter at God, and you'll end up resentful. You forget you, God. 
Here I am in my foxhole in my time of need. I call out to you for a sign. I call out to you for a wonder and you're nowhere to be found. I'm never gonna serve you. I'm never gonna live for you. Back in 1996, I was a freshman in high school and it was the first time I can ever remember praying. It was in October. The Niners were facing the Packers. It was the fourth quarter. The Niners were up by three points. There was like two minutes left in the game. It was my foxhole. That's a foxhole for a ninth grader, ladies and gentlemen. I was a diehard Niners fan living up in Idaho, so this was a big deal to me. So I remember vividly falling on my knees, first prayer ever, all right? (laughs) Falling on my knees and saying, dear God, I just pray that the Green Bay Packers will miss this field goal. The kick is up. It's good. We're going to overtime. So mad at God. And then in overtime, the Packers ended up winning the game. I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you what happened to me. I called out to God. I had a faith that's based on wonders. The only time I had ever called out to him is when I needed him to do some sign, some wonder, some miracle, like the Packers not getting that field goal. He didn't do what I wanted him to do, and so I refused to serve him. I refused to give my life to him. You see, a faith that's based on wonders, a faith that needs to see to believe, will leave you empty, will leave you discouraged, will leave you bitter, it will leave you resentful, and it will lead you wanting nothing, it will leave you wanting nothing to do with God. We shouldn't have a faith that's based on wonders. We should have a faith that's based upon the word, brothers and sisters. Now maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've never put your trust in the Lord. And the reason is because you've never seen anything. And you've told your friends, you've told your family, well, if I just saw God, If I just saw some miracle, if I just saw some sign, if I saw a wonder, if God just showed up miraculously in my life, then I would believe. Then I would put my trust in him. Well, I want to tell you something. That's not true. Ask the Israelites in the Old Testament. They saw more miracles, more signs, and more wonders than anyone who has ever existed. Ten plagues busting them out of Egypt by God. Parting the Red Sea, manna from heaven, quail, the rock opening up and water coming out, a fire by night, a cloud by day, and yet they end up worshiping a golden calf with all those signs and wonders. Why don't you ask Judas, one of the disciples who followed Jesus around for three and a half years, heard all of his teaching, saw all of his signs and wonders, and yet betrayed him with a kiss, sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Or you can ask the man in Luke chapter 16, who Jesus described is in hell right now. And he's down there in hell, in Hades, and he's talking, he's having a conversation with Abraham. And he says, Abraham, if you would send Lazarus back to my house, I have five brothers Send Lazarus back from the dead. Give them this great sign so that they will believe and not come to this place. And Abraham said, oh, no, 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 no. 
They have Moses and the prophets. He said, no, no, no. They don't need the Bible. They don't need the word of God. What they need is this great sign. They need to see someone risen from the dead. They need to see, and then they'll believe. They need a faith that's based on wonders. And then Abraham responded to this man in hell and said, hey, if they won't believe the word, they won't believe even if someone is risen from the dead, even if they see this great wonder. And so if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord, it's not a miracle, a sign, a wonder that you need. You just need to read the Bible and believe the Bible. Christianity is not see and then, and then believe. It's believe and then you will see. So we need not have a faith that's based on wonders, but rather have a faith that's based upon the word. And that's what Jesus is going to show us in verses 49 through 54. The royal official said to Jesus, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed having come from Judea to Galilee. So we talked about a faith that's based on wonders, a faith that's based on sight, needing to see God do something. Now let's talk about a faith that's based upon the word of God. So the official, Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official doesn't give up. And he asks Jesus again to come and to heal his son. And Jesus responds with a simple reply, go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. Interesting. Jesus doesn't go with him. That's what the man wanted. The man doesn't see lightning come from heaven. He doesn't hear thunder roar. Jesus doesn't pull out his magic wand and go, alakazam, bippity boppity boo, you're healed. The guy doesn't see a miracle. He doesn't see a wonder. He doesn't see a sign. All he gets is a word. All he gets is a promise. All this man has to stand on is a word from God. All this man has to stand on is a promise of God. So what does he do? Does he run home really fast? Does he go to check on his son to verify, to make sure that the healing happened? That's what I would have done. Remember his desperate state? I mean, he came 20 miles. They didn't have the train or, or airplanes that I know of back in those days. They didn't have cars. That's a long way to travel. He came all the way to Jesus because his son was dying. Parents, if you have a little kiddo and your, your son or your daughter is dying, you know the panic that overtakes you. And you know that you would do anything. So what does this guy do? Does he run home to check and to verify? It's interesting that the traveling distance from Cana to Capernaum is 20 miles. My friend Google tells me that the average walking speed of a human being is 3.1 miles per hour. Now, Cana was 
at a higher elevation than Capernaum. Capernaum was about 700 feet below sea level. So if this man traveled at 3.1 miles per hour for 20 miles downhill, he probably would have made it to Capernaum walking in about six to seven hours. But probably since he was so desperate, he would have ran home, so that would have cut his time in half. He would have probably been home in about four hours, or if he chartered a camel, probably cut his time down to two hours. But this guy doesn't do any of that. He doesn't walk home. He doesn't run home. He doesn't charter a camel because he's got a promise. Because he's got a promise from God. Because he has got a word of God. Check out verse 51. It says, as he's going home, he met his servants. And the servants told him, hey, your son is recovering. And he's like, well, what time? When did my son get better? And they said, at the seventh hour or at 1 p.m. yesterday, the day before. Interesting. You see, the moment that he got the word from Jesus... He could have walked home and been home in six to seven hours, or he could have ran home and been home in four hours, or he could have gone on the camel and been home in two hours, the same day, the same night. But he doesn't. He doesn't go home that day. He doesn't go home until the next day. Instead, the moment that he got the word from Jesus, he decides, I'm going to check into the Holiday Inn. I'm going to stay the night here in Cana. I'm going to get myself some dinner, maybe catch a movie, hang out in the jacuzzi. I'm going to relax. I'm going to chill. I'm going to kick back and have myself a good time, maybe watch some movies. I don't know. He's not worried. He's not desperate. Rather, he has peace. He has the peace of God. You see, he received a word from God. He received a promise from God. And the moment that he received that promise from Jesus, he believed it, and the fruit and the result of believing the promise and the word of God is peace. He's no longer desperate. He's no longer worried for his son. He takes his time in going home because he knows God doesn't lie. God always makes good on his word. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3 says this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. God's word, God's promises, when we believe them, when we receive them, when we apply them to our lives, the fruit and the result every single time is always life and is always peace. When you just begin to take Jesus at his word, oh, that's when you'll begin to see the real wonders. Believe and then you will see the wonders of his peace, the wonders of his grace, the wonders of his kindness, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, even in the midst of great trial and great tragedy, God's promises bring peace. 
I work all things together for the good of those who love me and who are called according to my purposes, says the Lord. Romans 8, 28. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God has a promise for you. And as you believe it, as you receive it into your life, the result is going to be peace. God wants us to have a faith that is based upon his word, a real, genuine faith, because that brings peace to our hearts and to our lives. And so this official started out as a man who had a superficial faith, a faith that was based upon wonders. He just came to Jesus to to see him do something, to receive a miracle, to receive a sign. But he leaves not only as a man who believes in wonders, but also now, on top of that, a man who also believes in the word. So he believes in wonders, he believes in miracles, he believes in signs, and he believes in in the word of God. He has a nice, healthy balance now, a balanced Christian, a Christian who believes that God can do the miraculous, that God can do signs, that God can do wonders, but more importantly, a Christian who believes and trusts and obeys the word of God and the promises of God. Amazing. Now, I know that God does miracles, But I believe the reason that God does miracles is to bring us to the master. He does the miracles so that we can be brought to the master so that we'll listen to his message. Listen to a quote by D.A. Carson. He says, The apologetic value of miracles, though often exaggerated, should not be despised. Jesus can encourage faith on that basis, especially amongst those too skeptical to trust his word. So God does miracles. But more often than not, he does those miracles to bring people to the master. Like this guy came to Jesus for a miracle. And Jesus performed this miracle in his life to bring him into a relationship with the master and so that he would listen to the master's message. This guy leaves with his kid getting healed, but more importantly than that, The guy gets saved and his entire family gets saved. The miracle was meant to bring this man to the master so that he would listen to his message. God did a miracle in my own life. I was in my place of desperation. I was in my place of great need. An extreme drug addict, lost and confused and hopeless with death on my doorstep. But God used that. God used my need for a miracle, for a complete transformation to bring me to Jesus Christ so that I would listen to his message, the message that God loves us, that he died for us, that he's alive, and that he wants a personal relationship with each and every single one of us. Amazing. So God does do miracles, but more often than not, he does those miracles to bring us to the master. Now, the Apostle John closes uh, the chapter by saying that this is the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So, his second sign up there in Galilee. Now, John's gospel is known as the book of signs. 
the Apostle John records eight specific signs or miracles that are really meant to point beyond themselves, to point to a deeper reality, to highlight a spiritual truth. So in chapter 2, the first sign that Jesus performs is turning water into wine. Now where did that sign take place? It took place at a wedding. Man's brightest moment, man's most joyful moment, the most exciting moment in a person's life. Jesus is there performing his first sign. And now here, Jesus performs his second sign at man's darkest hour, when death and sickness is at this family's doorstep. Jesus is there. And so these two signs that Jesus performs, these first two signs, what are they saying to us? What is the the spiritual truth? What is the significance of these signs? What are we to take away from them? I would suggest this, that Jesus, our God, our Savior, wants to be involved in every aspect of your life, not just the darkest hour of your life, when death and tragedy and sickness are at your doorstep, but also the brightest moment of your life, a wedding, a joyful occasion. He wants to be involved in every aspect of your life, the ups and downs, the highs, the lows, the goods, and the bad. He wants a personal relationship with us that's beyond just calling out to him in our time of need, a relationship that's based on him knowing us and us getting to know him through his word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word tonight. It's spirit and truth. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to uh, just meditate on your word and study your word to grow in our relationship with you, to get to know you more, Lord, to have a deeper faith, a faith that's not just based on, on wonders, on calling out to you when we need to see something, but a faith that's, that's based on your word, a desire to, to really get to know you, who you are, what you've done, what you are like, how you work. Lord, help us by your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand for the closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.